We study God's Word together. We worship together. We fellowship together. We serve together. And so will you come? Will you come do this with us? Will you come and help the First Baptist Church of San Antonio be better together? If you would, turn with me in your bulletin uh, to your listening sheet. We are going to read aloud together 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 18. So let us stand and we will read. This then is the text for today. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. May God bless the reading of his word. The ancient city of Corinth was very cosmopolitan. It was rebuilt around the time that Jesus Christ was born, rebuilt as a strategic Roman city. And this new or reborn city became a burgeoning economic power. Corinth was a coastal city that sat between two separate gulfs. And as they met in the middle at Corinth, trade exploded. And this made it a perfect place for a new mission for the sake of the gospel. The apostle Paul showed up here in Corinth around about 50 AD. And he spent 18 months toiling away there, planting a church for the sake of the kingdom of God. But in this burgeoning economic power, the strategic Roman city, uh, there was a conglomeration of Corinthians that led to a tragic mishmash of religions that would seep into the church there that the Apostle Paul had started. Some of those things we read in this letter of 1 Corinthians. There at Corinth, it seems as though there's a temple on every corner, a temple to this God and to that God where you can go and worship one on one day and another on another day. Just about any God or goddess you could think of in the ancient world, there was a temple in Corinth for that one. Now, one of those temples there is in uh, particular for us this morning is important because one of those temples had a dual purpose. It was a temple, but it also functioned much like a hospital. 
This is a well-known sanctuary for the Greek god Asclepios, who is said to be able to heal anyone of just about anything, but this ancient idol god had some specializations. In fact, Asclepios, he specialized in infertility, for one. He also specialized in paralysis. You could come and be healed. He specialized in gout, in headaches, also specialized in insomnia. We have many specializations here. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, Asclepios specialized in baldness and giving men a cure for the hair that needed to come. Now, there was an odd scene that would happen around this. There was a specific ritual that many in Corinth, and many came from far and wide to Corinth to carry out this specific ritual of coming for healing. They would make or they would purchase these terracotta replicas of the part of their body that needed healing. And so they would bring it in so that it might be healed. So the bald guy would bring in a clay mold of his head and he would place it up on the altar in hopes that he might be cured. If you had a broken arm, you would bring in a clay molding of your arm and you would place it there by the altar. The sick people of the city would pile up appendages as high as they would go so that there was this mound of replica body parts waiting to be healed right there in the city of Corinth at this temple for Asclepios. In fact, in recent excavations, hundreds of eyes and arms and legs have been found by archaeologists buried there near the temple waiting to be healed, waiting for a sort of resurrection. In fact, there's this ancient stone picture from that day. It's of a stern man with a beard, and he's carrying this giant piece of pottery, and he's walking with it like this. And it's a giant foot and a calf that he's got wrapped around. It's as big as he is, and he's walking to the temple of Asclepios so that his foot might be healed. Another foot for the pile of terracotta limbs. Now, not far away from this giant clay foot was where the church at Corinth met. And the Apostle Paul wrote them this letter that we read from this morning in our scriptures in 1 Corinthians. He wrote to the church, and as he wrote to them, he was distraught, he was heartbroken at the pain that he was seeing inside the church. And he told that church that he had planted there, he said, you are functioning about as well as a pile of pottery could function, waiting for a sort of resurrection, waiting for what's next, doing nothing productive. You see, there at the first church of Corinth, instead of people coming in to worship God together, It was almost as if a severed arm had come into the room and plopped itself down on a pew. You see, their church was starting to look more like a storeroom of Asclepios than a church of the living God. And he says, why am I not seeing, why am I not hearing the church of the living God blossoming in Corinth? Instead, I'm hearing more of a pile of broken pottery 
waiting on something else, waiting for what's next. He said, you are the church of the living God, not some ancient, powerless, impotent idol. We serve a risen Savior and empowered by a mighty spirit. What are you doing? See, there was no life in their church. It was only dismembered body parts whose function had been lost to sin. They were a divided church. They were a bickering church. Nothing like a church committed to Jesus Christ. And there were all kinds of problems in that church. If you flip through the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes into it one after the other, all of the sins that had been reported and all of the problems that were happening in that church. And there were all kinds of ridiculous things. If you turn back with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it's actually reported that there is immorality among you, read sexual immorality there, and immorality of such a kind it does not even exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. Church members, too, are suing one another. Chapter 6, verse 1. Does any one of you, so this is chapter 6, verse 1, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Church members were suing one another. Some of their church members were out hiring prostitutes, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For God says the two shall become one flesh. Now remember, as we're going through this list of sins, these are Christians. This is inside the church of God. This is a powerless body that has been overwhelmed by sin. And he says, you're so divided and you're so caught up in these sins, there is no power of the Spirit among you today. You know, a church cannot operate with sin lingering. Not any sin, not a single sin lingering above or in or under the church. When you come to be a part of a church, sin must be done away with in Jesus Christ. Sin dies to your old self. There there is no room in the church for your old sinful self One sin, any sin, is like a cancer in the body that will multiply and suck the life right out of the church. So that a once vibrant body becomes a shell of herself when sin remains. So that that church there and any church where sin has taken root looks more like a dismembered mannequin waiting on Asclepios rather than one alive in Jesus Christ. People there were fighting over all kinds of things. They had divided over all kinds of things, even things like who baptized who or where you were eating. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 10 through 12, for if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ has died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. They were fighting over eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. When they had the Lord's Supper, and they had the Lord's Supper in their service, rich people had a nice version, poor people had no version. Poor people might scrounge up some leftovers if they could, but their whole Lord's Supper was a mess. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. These were the people 
representing Jesus Christ to their community. And this is what they were portraying for all the world to see, if only in the city of Corinth. A church cannot function with indiscretions in every hallway. It's not that way in the body of Christ. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was to wash away all of those sins, was to rid the body of those kinds of things. The church in Jesus Christ is free from the tyranny of sin and death. Why would you go back? Why would you invite sin and death back into the building when Jesus has already ran it out? You see, that church in Corinth had become a breeding ground for sin and division. Satan could not have found a better foothold to discredit the work of Christ than that church there. And to this day, Satan prowls around looking for churches to devour in the same way. The church of Jesus Christ cannot be a petri dish of sin. But in fact, we are different. We are a forgiven people. We are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a beacon of hope in that darkness. If we are going to be a unified body, it begins and ends with a confession of sin to our Lord that he might wash it away and we be made whole. You know, on some level, you might take comfort in the fact that the Corinthian church was in such a terrible way. I mean, we might think, we're not, we're not a disaster like they were a disaster. But let us not disparage without first looking into our own eyes. The best of us fall into similar temptation. And I want you to notice here, in, in Paul's letter, he, he doesn't condemn the Christians uh, there in Corinth without a way out. In fact, he, he condemns them and, and he, he judges them and he says, this is not right, but he says there is a way out of this. There is a way forward. There's a way through this where you are brought out stronger and better in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, he told them they were wrong, but he also told them about Jesus' work. And he says, this, this is perfectly ripe for the work of Jesus to come in and take root, for you to be forgiven and live in that redemption and be a story of redemption for everybody to see. See, they, they were not a sanctuary of dismembered and disfigured body parts. They, they were a collective. They were a body put together by God for his glory and his purposes. And may that be true of us, to not be dismembered and disfigured body parts thrown all over this campus, but one body, one spirit, put together by God for his glory and for his purposes. You see, this is what the work of the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes in, and the Holy Spirit picks up every amputated member to graft it back into the body as whole. If you're disconnected from the Christ, if you're disconnected from the body, trust the Spirit this morning to pick you up and reconnect you into the life of Jesus Christ our Lord. It was the Apostle Paul was addressing these issues to their church in their day. He wanted them to look at, at two things in particular. And both of these things he portrayed as coming out of their mouths. This, this was their attitude. And he says, for all of these other sins, look at this attitude that is in each one of you. 
There's a couple of areas of deprivation that need care. There's some deep wounds that you need to face. So one of those areas, verse 15 and 16, where he said, look with me there, chapter 12, verse 15 and 16. If the foot says, I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. This phrase, when the foot says, I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, reveals something about the heart. And and it's a lie that's straight from Satan himself. Why would, would any of us say such a thing? If I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It's almost as if we're demanding of God, make me a hand or I'm walking out the door. How could we demand such a thing of our God? You know, some people will look up to God and say, God, if I can't do this or if I can't do that, then I'm out. If you won't do this and you won't do that in my life, then this is over. And make it a point to say, God, I'm a foot, but if I, you don't make me a hand, I will sever my relationship with you and the body of Christ. Where do we come up with these things? You know, sometimes it comes from pride. Sometimes it's of depression. But who are you to tell God that you will only serve exactly as you want to serve? You know, as this passage unfolds, Paul lets the church at Corinth have it. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you say or what you prefer. You are a part of of a church. You're part of a body. And you have a vital role to play in this body as God has prepared it. Who are you to question how God has arranged these parts, these members? That's one of the ways they were falling apart as a body. But there's there's another way too. Some in the church were saying they had no need of one another. Now this this is another variation of that previous prohibited statement. This is where someone sees themselves as a part of the larger body, but they want to be the one to say who is a part or who isn't a part of the church or how someone else should serve or not serve in the church. This is a person who looks around and sees people they don't like and starts to go get the ax to cut them out. This this is not your job. We like to make proclamations of of the larger group. This is not our role. We're not the one putting the church together. This is the work of the Lord. God has so composed this group, this church. It was not our doing. This is God's doing. And he ordained it that each and every one of us would be a part of this service this morning, that we'd be together in worship, better together. And Paul says, but, but we go away and, and we, we, um, we come in and we discredit God And we push back against this work. Look with me one more place here in chapter 12. Verse 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker. Now, let's let's pause there for a minute. He says the the, the people in the group, they're, they're, they're making these assumptions or they're making these statements where there are some around us who seem to be weaker. We, li- we like to seem, and we like to put that out in, in front of others, what we seem 
to think. And then verse 23, and those members, which seem to be weaker to us, those members of the body, we deem them less honorable. See, Paul calls, calls out the church for all of their seeming and all of their deeming because of what they're doing. They're saying amongst themselves that some people seem unnecessary and others are deemed worthless. And too often in the church, the church like to do, likes to do this, to seem and to deem. And to seem and to deem is to have power. It, it is to project your limited imagination upon the group so that you assume the authority. And the church at, at Corinth struggled at their core with this pain. And, and this same plague has infected churches all across the globe like a spiritual pandemic that leaves our churches gasping for breath. When, when, when our members are seeming and deeming, nothing gets done. When, when people are seeming and deeming, no one is out sharing the gospel. When people are seeming and deeming, nobody's worshiping. When people are seeming and deeming, nobody is falling at the foot of the cross and repenting. Everyone puts their efforts into assuming God's role. We would all rather just kind of raise up and assume the role that God has taken up, the, the role of, 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 of judge and arbiter, to be the one that, that makes the decisions and paints the way forward. Everyone just loves to assume God's role when that is God's role alone, not any one of us. And so that's what's happening in the church. You're seeming and you're deeming and you're assuming and all of you are taking up roles that you don't need to be a part of rather than taking up what you're supposed to be taking up. You just assume God's position. And when you do that, when you seem and you deem and you assume, disaster is lurking around every corner. You will implode. Paul's encouraging them here. Give up. Give up and get to God's work. Do that which you were called to do. You, you aren't supposed to be seeming and deeming and assuming. God, God has given you specific gifts to be used today for the sake of his kingdom. Well, what are those gifts? If you don't know, ask him. Use them and we will all be better. You see, when we repent of this seeming and deeming and assuming, something miraculous happens. Those thoughts of seeming and deeming and assuming dissipate. You, you no longer uh, take on God's mantle and run with his authority as if, as if it's your own. And, and when you repent of that, and you turn from those ways, life begins to flourish. And all those old feelings and all those old thoughts begin to change. Those feelings of, I am not a part of this. Or those feelings of saying, well, I am my own. I belong to me. Those feelings begin to change into something more communal, something more Christian. You'll begin to hear yourself say, I am not my own, but I was bought at a price. Or you, you'll hear yourself say, I'm a part of the body of Jesus Christ. 
Those kinds of words don't come in the flesh. Those words of the Spirit. The Spirit makes things right and whole. You see, the same is true as the Spirit begins to work. It, the Spirit um, changes how you view others, changes how you view the people around you. When the, when the Spirit takes hold of your life, you no longer deem others unworthy of your presence. You will no longer say, I have no need of you. But your heart will begin to long for one another. In, in the Spirit, we, we recognize that we're better together. In the Spirit, we recognize that we need one another, that the Christian life isn't going to be lived alone. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. It is lived with one another. It is communal. It is together, and we are better in that way. You know, as the Spirit moves in all of these different kinds of ways, God begins to open your eyes and God begins to open your ears so that you begin to notice what God is up to. You, you, you start to notice why God has put this unique group of people together in this place. You begin to see how the pieces fit together and the kinds of wonderful and miraculous things happen when we work together in the Spirit as one body of the Christ. See, apart from the Spirit, those things are difficult to see. But when the Spirit is moving, it is obvious why the Spirit of the living God brought us together in this way at this time. You see, God has placed you here for a reason. There is good work for you to be about even today. God has given gifts in and of the Spirit that are necessary for our life together. And we're better when we're living those out as Jesus has called us to. See, Jesus has called us to this holy way together. Let's go. Let's live in obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as they have been sent from our Lord Jesus. As we do, he's going to call us together, and mighty things will begin to happen. You see, when we begin to recognize this is not a solo, there are many days where we want this to be a solo performance. There are days we feel it in the church. There are days when, when people would just prefer a minister to do it. It saves us all a lot of energy if the minister would just do it. Even do what we were called to do. But you know, in the same breath, there are days we just do it all ourselves. Not include anybody else, because it's easier just to do it myself and not include anyone else in what I've been called to do. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus didn't call us to, to leave the work to another. Jesus didn't call us to do the work by ourselves, but Jesus has called us to a life that is better together, diverse and interdependent, suffering when another suffers, rejoicing when one is exalted. We are in this together. You see, as a church, you think about us here as the First Baptist Church of San Antonio celebrating Pentecost Sunday together today. We, 
we don't want to be a future excavation site of dismembered appendages. You know, there are going to be a lot of churches when we get to the final days. There will be a lot of churches that will be excavated and all that will be found, terracotta body parts strewn about, no life left whatsoever. May that not be us. Instead, let us rise up out of the drought-stricken valley as one body empowered by our Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we love you. Lord, we uh, repent of that which we need to repent of. Lord, in all of the ways that there have been divisions and factions, for all of the cracks, for all of the places that sin is hid in these walls, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, forgive us for how we have failed as a church. Lord, forgive us of how we have failed as individuals. Lord, every one of us in here needs the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. And we come to the cross now, Lord, saying, forgive us. Forgive us and bring us life, Father. Forgive us that we might have life and have it abundantly in your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we long for your spirit to move in a mighty way among us. Lord, we pray that you would make it so. And so now, Lord, as we come to the time of response, move. Come, be welcomed. Bless this congregation as we bless you, Father. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.